Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. By the time the Irish potato famine, also known as the Great Hunger, ended in Ireland in 1852, an estimated one million people had died and more than two million had left the country. Here in Connecticut, Ireland's Great Hunger Museum told the story of the famine through artwork by Irish and Irish-American artists. The permanent collection opened at Quinnipiac University 10 years ago under its former president, John Leahy. It was considered the largest in the world related to the famine. But the museum's future has been in doubt after Quinnipiac first announced in 2018 it needed to become financially self-sufficient. And then the university decided last year the museum would remain closed until a partner could be found to display the collection off campus. That partner has been found. Today, where we live on St. Patrick's Day, we focus on the next steps after the university announced it will work with the Gaelic American Club of Fairfield to serve as the museum's new location. Now, have you been to Ireland's Great Hunger Museum? What are your thoughts on its future? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, coming up, we're going to talk with two artists from Ireland whose work is part of this collection. First, joining us on Zoom, John Foley, Vice President of the Gaelic American Club and the new president of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield. John, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. It is the same to you. Also with us, Amy O'Shea, the vice president of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield. Amy, welcome. Good morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, John, I'll start with you because, as I mentioned, there was such an outpouring from uh, the community when there was news about this collection first uh, remaining closed and then wondering what was going to happen to this museum. And so I wanted to hear from you about how the Gaelic Club got involved and, uh, you know, what you've been hearing from the community. Um, So so when when we first heard it was closing there was a lot of uh, a lot of angst all over the Irish community in Connecticut all over in in New York as well and calls are coming in um I remember Bonnie Weir from Yale calling every single Irish group uh, Joe McDonough wrote a great piece on uh, uh, up in Hamden um about the museum uh Tarlett McConnell was uh, agitating everywhere and we all kind of got together and 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 came together and, and went up to Hamden and had a, a great day in the pouring rain in October and uh, had a, a bit of a celebration for the collection in support of the collection. So it, it, it's been kind of a, a movement from there. Our members in the in the Gaelic Club, we meet monthly in the Gaelic Club and they came to us every every single meeting. What's going on? What's happening with the, with the collection? This is very important to us. And it's a, a very emotive issue for us in uh, in in that you know we it's it's something that's uh, touches us deeply and we decided we would ask for a meeting with Quinnipiac and uh they they accepted we met with them in december and we had uh at the time 
Um, we, we, we asked that, I thought that the main things were we needed to keep this collection together. We insisted that this collection must be kept together. And they, they agreed with us, actually. And, and then our next step was to keep it in Connecticut. And mm. that, that's the big thing is what, how, how we can keep this in Connecticut. At the time, there wasn't any um, plans uh, to keep it in Connecticut. And uh, we asked for some time. To, to maybe come up with something that we could uh, the, that could make that happen, and they gladly gave us time. So myself and Amy and Jerry Ford, uh, from the president of the JAC, and uh, quite a few other the, the executive members, started working all over Christmas. I don't think we had Christmas this year um, to come back, and we asked uh, we asked to meet with them in early January, and mm. um, and that's when it it started the actual thought of moving it to Fairfield. Started. Uh, we had a meeting with them on January fifth, and uh, yeah, and here we are now. Uh, thankfully, before St. Patrick's Day, with the announcement uh, that uh, that they're uh, willing to work with us to move mm. to keep the collection together and move to Fairfield. There's a, a lot of work involved, uh, not only with negotiating, but now moving the the full collection. We'll be talking about that coming up. But you'd mentioned uh, you've been working on this for so long. You know, no Christmas uh, for you and others in the planning stages. This is deeply personal to you. Tell us why, John. I think the the the, the famine is something that we haven't fully dealt with as a people psychologically. I don't think we've we've fully dealt with it. Um, I've I've. I, I think even in school, growing up in Kerry, it was something that was touched on. You know, there was uh, we we were taught heavily on Daniel O'Connell, and um, because of you know where we where I'm from, especially. Um, but the famine was was glossed over. I mean, it was taught, but I don't think the truth of it was really really uh, given to us. Um, there's a, a, a fellow Carlake man of mine. Uh, I'm from Carlake in, in Kerry, and uh, Jerry Mulvihill wrote a book on the truth of the Great Famine. So uh, he he tells you know what really happened and the, and the time it was. So I think it's it's something that's that we really have to deal with generations on. Um, Dr. Keneally has spoken at the, the Gaelic Club, and she's she's the, she has so much knowledge on on. The, the things that happened and how it affects us still today, even in our DNA, that seven years of malnutrition, it still affects us and it may affect us for much longer. Um, so I think it's 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 a personal thing for any Irish person. Now, the, the art itself is something that's, if, when you tell, when you, t- when you um, tell the story of history through art, it connects something deeper it connects deeper and the, 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 when, when I see the likes of um, Kieran Tui's art and 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 Jack B Yates it's something that's uh, it, it reaches inside and it touches your soul you know we are the descendants of the survivors and there's it's I think that uh, the, the the art tells the story of the people that didn't survive and the survivors and it's 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 something that we have to deal with psychologically as a people since then we've reinvented ourselves many many times but um i think that who we were is something that we have to come to terms with it's who we who we were when we came to america first is still something that we we're, we're we're dealing with and this is something this is a story that we're committed to telling in the gaelic american club 
Right. In, if you ever come to the club, it's it's something that we we celebrate our Irishness. Um, we are we're very very much uh, proud of who we are now and who we're becoming. But who we were is something that we have to deal with as well. So that's something that we are going to try to tell, uh, which I, I and I we're going to try and build on Dr. Leahy's um, uh, legacy, which I think is. I think it's touched us something. It's touched us deeply inside, and uh, and it's something that we'll have to. Uh, we we are we we feel honoured that we're we're going to be the ones to, to continue that uh, legacy. But you, it's also and, it's 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 important. You had mentioned uh, Dr. Leahy. That's the former Quinnipiac University president, John Leahy, who uh, first opened uh, this museum uh, ten years ago when the decision uh, to close the museum was made by the current administration. Uh, Dr. Leahy told the Irish Central um, he was perplexed why anyone in this day and time would even consider closing a museum dedicated to educating people about the evils of discrimination and bigotry. Uh, at the same time, uh, John, there are uh, still mixed feelings about the collection moving from Hamden to Fairfield. Uh, and you mentioned Turlow O'Connell. He was uh, he is the outspoken leader of Save Ireland's Great Hunger Museum. He said that announcement about this partnership earlier this month uh, was, quote, not only premature, but arrogant and disrespectful of the office of the state attorney general. And to give our listeners context, uh, this uh, committee to save the Great Irish Hunger Museum had sent a letter to the attorney general calling for the office to investigate the closure of the museum. The attorney general's office confirmed that the inquiry is still ongoing. And so, uh, Amy O'Shea, I wanted to bring you into the conversation. Can you respond to the mixed feelings about this? Um, I do understand that the town of Hamden um, is, is going to mourn the loss of the museum. And I do also agree that the building that the museum is currently in is phenomenal and is in a way a, a part of the collection itself. It was custom designed to house this collection and um, have the feel of a coffin ship when you enter it. And then um, when you go up the stairs, the ceilings are higher and, and you know, it feels different. And then you get to appreciate all the amazing art that's upstairs. Um, so I do understand it. And I think ideally it should have reopened and in its existing location. But um, we just wanted to provide Quinnipiac with an alternative in, in case they were determined to not reopen it there, which actually ended up being the case. Um, we wanted to give them an option to keep it in Connecticut and to keep it under and to transfer it to um, the stewardship of the Gaelic American Club, uh, because this is our our largest concern is you know preserving Irish culture and history and this is an amazing addition to all the other um, Irish cultural activities that we have. That's Amy O'Shea, Vice President of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield. Uh, again, the Gaelic American Club in Fairfield that Amy is a part of. Also, John Foley, Vice President of the Gaelic Club, the new stewards of uh, Ireland's Great Hunger Museum, moving from Hamden to now Fairfield. And so, Amy, give us an idea of the timeline and the work that needs to be done uh, for you and others at the club to be the stewards of this permanent collection. Um, yes, yeah, so we uh, we have a lot of fundraising to do, 
and we've identified a, um, a building to house the collection um, that will need to be renovated. Um, we, you know, we intend to create a space that is custom designed for the collection, just like the building was in Hamden. And so we've been um, in discussions with a designer who is in the process of um, drawing plans for the new building. And um, so between the fundraising and construction, you know, we're estimating that it will be, you know, a year or two um, before the new museum is open. I had mentioned that there's still this inquiry from the state attorney general's office. How does that impact uh, the plans that are now underway to move the collection, Amy? Um, well, Quinnipiac has um, told us that they anticipate the attorney general to wrap up the inquiry um, pretty quickly. So we're just proceeding with what we need to do and, um, you know, waiting for that to wrap up and Quinnipiac doesn't anticipate there being any issues with the inquiry. Um, so that's why we're just proceeding and kind of getting our ducks in the row. Uh, John Foley, I wanted to go back to you when we think about uh, the plans moving forward and the vision for this new museum. Some of the themes that you hope, uh, you and your team hope to continue to bring out to the community. Yes, uh, I'd like to work with, uh, with uh, we, we're actually in, in talks with many of the other universities in the area, Fairfield Jew, um, uh, Sacred Heart, uh, the, some of the representatives from Quinnipiac, I met yesterday with a representative from Fordham. Um, so uh, and we also have some very uh, talented people within the Gaelic American membership ourselves. Uh, there's a, um, a professor from NYU that's interested in, in creating a new, uh, I would say an, an academic advisory board that would uh, help us build the mission for the museum. Uh, what we'd like to do is have, make sure that it has some sort of academic value to all the, not only to, to universities, but to uh, high schools, to middle school, to spread that story of, of the, uh, the great hunger, uh, cast a wider net. The area that we have, um, where we are locating the new museum, is within walking distance of the uh, Metro North um, Fairfield train station, downtown Fairfield and also just off the uh, 95. Uh, it's also within a historic district, which, you know, there's also another museum in the area and a lot of uh, historic mansions in the area. So it's a, it's a really an area that we feel is, is going to um, welcome a museum like this. I think it'll fit in very, very well with the neighborhood. And also um, I think the fact that they, it's, it's coming to the Gaelic American Club, which is 6,000 very, very active and very, very vocal and very, very passionate um, Irish and Irish Americans. Uh, I think that's going to benefit it because they will have an opportunity to, 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 to plan the direction, to contribute to the direction of this museum. Uh, we'd like it to tell the story, not just of uh, Irish America, but also of other countries and other peoples that have suffered the same uh, the same um, uh, fate as what the Irish did 170 years ago and still going on today. Mm -hmm. The same thing, we, we have refugees here from Afghanistan. We are sure we're seeing people coming from Ukraine that have the same issues. 
the museum's mission should include help for them, help for uh, to, to, to maybe for them to, to, um, to reinvent themselves in America as we did. And John, you mentioned Fordham earlier, and when we talk about that connection to New York, when we think about uh, where Irish immigrants settled, that's so important here. Absolutely. Um, I think this is not just uh, Connecticut, New York. I'm sure Boston um, will have something to say about this as well. This is, mm-hmm. you know, we there's many people here that don't, you know, they that don't understand why there's so many Irish in in this neighborhood, and they are are in the in the Northeast, and it's. The, the, the famine, the, the great hunger, was seminal to Irish history and to American history. And I think the teaching that, teaching the, the reasons why, it will help people understand just world events today. Um, you know, there's the, the Haitians crossing the Rio Grande. That was us once, you know. Um, it's, and it's the same thing that's happening, I, I think, in the 1930s. It happened in, in Ukraine. Um, you know they, they, how food was used as a weapon, um, and it's 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 something that has to be taught, and it uh, it's so important. And 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 that I think that when we bring it to to the central location in Fairfield, we will be able to stretch to to cast a wider net as such, um, to teach more people uh, the the uh, what can happen when when governments um, turn against their people. Uh, Amy O'Shea, uh, you know, when we think about uh, how this museum has been closed to the public uh, for at least two years now, I believe, when at the start of the pandemic, and then uh, the Quinnipiac University uh, ing- saying, I think it was late in August of last year, it was going to be permanently closed. You know, a lot of people in the community are hurt by this because, you know, while there are plans, again, through the Gaelic American Club to move the permanent collection to, to Fairfield, you know, all of this artwork is still housed in Hamden. And there are members of the community that want to see this museum remain open, you know, while you're doing the fundraising and getting the building renovated down in Fairfield. How do you respond to that? And, and what would be the potential for that, if at all? I, I wish I could answer that question, but that would really need to be directed at Quinnipiac. Um, our focus right now is to build a new space for it. Um, it really is Quinnipiac's decision what to do with it in the interim. Um, and they haven't, you know, they have not transferred the collection to us yet. So it is still their decision. Um, and I do understand that. I do think that it's unfortunate that it's, you know, will not have been displayed for probably three to four years by the end of all this. Um, But that's definitely a question for Quinnipiac. And earlier you had mentioned uh, that Quinnipiac had said that this inquiry by the Attorney General's office uh, plans to to wrap up. And so, you know, I wonder if you can just talk more about is that the the sticking point before the collection is moved to Fairfield, or is it more getting the space ready before the collection is moved? Oh, it's it's getting the space ready. Um, I believe that Quinnipiac will be storing the collection in their own, um, you know, temperature controlled uh, storage facility until it's transferred to Fairfield. All those yeah. things have to be 
ironed out. We still have lots of conversations to have with Quinnipiac. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think that there's everything's still on the table as far as that. And we, we, we sit down. We've had very cordial conversations with them thus far. And I think we'll continue to have them, you know. So uh, we, everything's on the table. We, we, we don't know if it's going to sustain, if they want to keep it in the location and, and, and keep it there, whether they want to reopen prim- or, or for, for a short time. I don't know. But we are going to have these talks with them. And uh, ultimately, the, 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 what they want to do is, is to transfer it to the Irish-American community. And once that's done... Um, you know, it, there's going to be a, a, quite a process to do that. And it's a, we're, we're not, we understand it's going to be a, a heavy lift and a lot of work to do, but we're, we're ready for it. Again, you can join our conversation as we talk about the future of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum. Now, Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield, the new stewards, the plan uh, to transfer this permanent collection from Hamden to Fairfield. With us, John Foley, Vice President of the Gaelic American Club, and Amy O'Shea, Vice President of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield. You can join our conversation if you have questions or if you want to share when you have uh, visited this museum. Its impact on you, our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, Amy, before we let you go, when we talk about the fundraising needed, can you give our, our community, our listeners, an idea of how much you need to raise and what are the best ways to reach out to the Gaelic Club? We are currently in the process of you know, putting together a budget and a timeline, as well as um, creating the opportunity to donate. Um, and so all of that information will be available as it proceeds on the Gaelic American Club's website. I want to take a quick call. Mary's calling in from Middletown. Mary, what did you want to share? Well, I don't think a lot of people in the surrounding area or in Connecticut knew that this decision had been made. I know um, I frequently would take college students from the local area down there to visit the museum. They found it just hugely interesting. They thought the design was a fabulous part of it, just the a thought that went into it. Um, the collection itself is outstanding. I was stunned myself when I first saw it. I've been many times, and when I found out about it, I was really taken aback. I was so disappointed. And speaking with people that I knew who had been there, we all said, well, what about other universities Villanova University came to mind. Huge Catholic uh, organization, outstanding university, that they would be interested. Colleges and universities like that that have a big Irish studies program, Dr. John Lennon at Villanova, I would think, would be very interested. So I think it's short-sighted on the part of Quinnipiac. I realize finances are a big issue for all of these kinds of museums and and whatnot but you find a way it's that important you find a way and especially in this era when we want to educate our young people about the issues of migration and the importance of understanding and knowing what's involved and what these people go through it's very important i'm delighted to hear that somebody stepped up and that it will be saved But I'd start contacting other universities and colleges, asking for their input, asking asking for funding. That's 
you know, I'm I'm glad and I hope that it it does reopen. I wish it was open now because I would be taking students there again. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Uh, again, you're listening to Where We Live. Uh, with us again, John Foley, Vice President of the Gaelic American Club, new president of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield, as we talk about the museum's future. I want to thank Amy O'Shea for joining us, the Vice President of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield. And coming up after the break, we're going to hear from two Irish artists whose works are featured. Now, while plans continue to relocate this museum, Quinnipiac University has said it will continue to advance the academic and research programs of Ireland's Great Hunger Institute at the university and the Irish collection in the Lender Reading Room. Now, if you've been to the museum, we'd love to hear from you. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. A new home for Ireland's Great Hunger Museum is in the works after Quinnipiac University announced it has partnered with the Gaelic American Club to relocate the museum's permanent collection off campus. The museum will, will reopen as Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield. The projected reopening could take up to two years. The club has brought on the former executive director of the museum to advise the project. He joins us now, Ryan Mahoney, former executive director of the Ireland of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum in Hamden, who's now a volunteer advisor for this move to Fairfield. Ryan, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, you can hear the passion uh, from the community that's call, that are calling in, but also from both John and Amy about why this isn't so important. And you were also part of this project for so long. And so can you tell our listeners more when we talk about uh, the great hunger, the collection uh, through the art that um, is at this uh, museum? You know, what's there and why is it so special? Yes, and I think, Mary, your, your caller just uh summed it up perfectly. The artwork's fantastic when you first see it. Um, it, it it's classic artwork, but the artwork tells a story and, and it's powerful. Um, you know, so we're talking about deep subjects here. We're talking about hunger. We're talking about death, disease, refugees, immigration, government corruption, nationalism, xenophobia. 
Um, these are topics that are hard enough for adults to have a conversation about it, as we've seen, let alone second graders. What this artwork does is make a topic like this accessible to all ages. It inspires thought, uh, provokes questions, it gets conversations started. Um, I've never seen a collection that's so moving and has such power like this when being able to do those things. Um, so yeah, it, it, it has a deep connection to the community, obviously. It has a deep connection to the people that founded it. It has a deep connection to all the people that have uh, worked there and been, been a part of this process. Can you, let's talk about some of the artwork and you can see some of the images at our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. Let's talk about this sculpture by Margaret Chamberlain, the leave taking, describe it for us. Yeah, so Margaret Chamberlain's piece is one, it's incredibly moving, incredibly powerful. It's something that we used to use with our education groups all the time. Um, it features 16 figures, basically going up a ramp, um, leaving Ireland. For, for essentially the last time. And we see old, young, we see healthy people, we see sick, um, we see people basically question what's going on. We see families being torn apart. Um, and Margaret Chamberlain did something really interesting with this. Uh, she saw a strong link to the Holocaust and she used photographs from those victims to study the effects of starvation and despair on the human body. Um, but what she really went into was within herself and she integrated this experience into each figure's persona. So she's been a mother, you know, she's been a daughter, she's been a sister, a wife, a mother. How would each one of these individuals um, endure this suffering, endure this pain, this loss for some, this humiliation. Um, and she created the narrative based on those imagined experiences. Um, and as a father, the one piece that gets me is seeing a, a young boy being ripped away from his mother. Um, not knowing if they'll ever see each other again. Um, the base is actually shaped in the form of a coffin and it has the uh, potato plant wrapping all around it. Uh, right before the pandemic uh, hit, we actually opened up a show at the United Nations with the permanent mission of Ireland to the UN talking about um, how Ireland's past has an influence on its modern day policy. And this is one of the pieces that was featured in that show. It's incredibly moving to anyone that sees it. Um, and it's just so full of rich narrative. We, we know that there are many Irish and Irish American artists featured in this collection. One of them is joining us now from Ireland, Kieran Tuohy, an artist and sculptor based in County Galway in Ireland. Kieran, welcome and happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Thank you, Lucy. And uh, hello to everybody that's there listening. I'd mentioned that you're a sculptor, so describe your work for our listeners and, and your feelings about being part of this collection here in Connecticut. Uh, being part of that was, it was a huge honour. Uh, I was blown away by... I was there for the opening of the museum uh, 10 years ago. And I was blown away by the way we were, we were treated. It's just unbelievable the way you're much more, you seem to be much more thought of in America than here in Ireland. Uh, uh, you're, it, it, but it was a huge honor to me. Uh, and uh, it, it's something I'll never forget, uh, the reception that we got there. But uh, when I arrived there, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing other artists like John B and Robert Pella and, and Ronan Gillespie and John uh, Pori Graney, all these, these are big name artists here. And uh, I, I was in awe of them. These are my heroes. 
And uh, I tend to stand at the back and not talk. So I didn't talk much during the time there, but I got to know them and I've, I, I've, I've met quite a few of them since. Uh, but uh, one one gentleman, I, I I met him recently and he came over talking to me. I didn't think he'd recognise me, but it was... Uh, uh, he, he had a... There's a painting in Quinnipiac, and without knowing what the painting was at, to stand back and look at it, I could see the anger in it. Uh, uh, he's one of, he's one of the best painters painters in Ireland at the moment. But his name escapes me. Uh, when we think about, um, you'd mentioned that some of uh, the art and the feelings that come out when even yourself are, are viewing them when you were here, uh, Kieran. Tell us about your art. I understand you started sculpting when you were fifteen, and you also use bogwood. Yeah, uh, it's something that developed. I, I would have liked to gone into the art world at 15, but I couldn't possibly see myself making a living from it. Uh, so I took an apprenticeship as a carpenter and uh, worked for a carpenter as a carpenter for a lot of years. But uh, uh, the art was on the go the whole time in the background. And... Uh, it, there's just something that's developed and developed and developed. And uh, I did a lot of stuff, uh, Celtic art, like stuff from the Book of Kells. And, but right. when you're doing stuff from the Book of Kells, I was sort of copying designs from the Book of Kells and talk, interpreting things my own way. But, but uh, I wouldn't class it as original when you're copying a design. Uh, can I, Karen? No, can I, I ask can't. you, Karen? Can I ask you about one of your uh, works that's at the museum? Thank you to the Choctaw. Can you describe it for us and the story it's telling? Yeah. Uh, well, during the famine, there was a lot of uh, donations came from all over the world. Uh, the biggest single country to to donate to, to the Irish. Uh, uh, to the Irish, to, to Ireland at the time, to the people, uh, came from America. Uh, the, the biggest amount of money actually came through the British Relief Association. But I was, uh, I was actually talking to Professor Christine Keneally about it, and uh, seeing where all, all this money came from, and she wrote a book about it since called Charity and the Great Hunger. But I was amazed at the the Choctaw Nation. Now, at the time when I did the sculpture, I, I couldn't find out much about them. But I knew they were very poor people and they'd been put off their land. Uh, and I wonder how the hell did they did they raise? It's there's different versions of it, but I think the Gazetted thing is they donated one hundred and seventy dollars to the Irish cause. And I. I I, I thought, well, I wanted to thank people for the donations to Ireland at the time. So I just picked on the Choctaw to thank the Choctaw as a kind of a thank you to everybody. Uh, and it's it has the Choctaw uh, camp or, or village at the bottom. And there's three arms coming from the village, which represents the... The, the, the Choctaw Nation reaching out uh, across the Atlantic to Ireland, to the Irish. Uh, now, 
around these arms, there's a kind of a, a mottled effect thing. It represents smoke from the fires, the way they pray to the gods through smoke, and it develops into hands that are supporting the Irish people. Uh, and that's basically what it's about. Yeah. Uh, so right. Thank them. Ryan Mahoney is still with us. Uh, Ryan, as we hear Kieran describe this piece, it sounds very moving. Can you respond uh, to this particular work in the collection? Yeah, Kieran's work is definitely moving. This one, along with uh, his piece, Surplus People, um, are two pieces that really really make you sit down and think. Um, but this piece uh, it tells that story of the Choctaw Nation basically raising $170 during the Great Hunger, when really they didn't have two pennies to rub together. And that equates to about $5,000 in today's uh, world. Um, that story alone is moving. Um, but then you realize that relationship still continues to this very day. So during the, the pandemic, um, the Irish people actually raised over two and a half million euros to donate back to the Navajo tribes in, in uh, the middle of America. Um, so it's still a relationship that goes on today. Uh, Kieran, I wanted to go back to you. Uh, it's so lovely to hear from you and for you to describe uh, some of your pieces uh, for us. Uh, we're also here talking about the future of the museum. You said it was a great honor to be included in this collection. And now, uh, you know, in Connecticut, we're talking about how it's moving to a different part of the state. You know, as an artist, you and, and others uh, signed on to a letter calling on Quinnipiac to, quote, reverse their policy of divestment and ultimately reopen Ireland's Great Hunger Museum. Uh, so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on its future. Uh, well, from what I've been hearing, it's in good hands anyway. Uh, my concern at the time was it would be put in a warehouse somewhere or to be sent somewhere where nobody's going to see it, uh, where it wouldn't be open to the public and the story wouldn't be told properly. Uh, I, I, over here, when I'm... I, you're not... Uh, you're not sort of at the call face. You don't know what's happening. Uh, just what I'm picking up on Facebook and an odd conversation I have with people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm delighted that, uh, and as credit to the the the, the, the people that have, have clubbed together uh, to actually put this together. Uh, uh, Amy O'Shea and John, the, they must have done a tremendous amount of work in and organizing that. Well, thank you, Kieran Tuohy, an artist and sculptor based in County Galway in Ireland. Kieran, what will you be doing today on St. Patrick's Day? Uh, I'm actually chilling today. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I was working yesterday in the studio, and uh, I'm I plan on going there again tomorrow. But it's uh, it's a sort of a holy day, uh, right. and go to the parade this afternoon, and just chill really. Uh, I have a busy week next week. I'm I'm uh, I'm back in Port Huna for a couple of days, where I have uh, another famine exhibition. Mm. Uh, it's called Dark Shadows, and I have a. It's a sister uh, sculpture to the Thank You to the Choctaw, mm. and it's called the Choctaw Trail of Tears. Uh, when I was in in at Ireland's Great Hunger Museum, when I was thanking the Choctaw for their donation, I was I became aware of how poor they they were 
and what had happened to their to their nation and being put up there were low Mississippi Plains Indians and I, I thought I I kind of felt a bit guilty that I hadn't told their story so I had when I came back uh, I had to do another sculpture telling their story so I have a sculpture in Portumna which is when uh, uh, when tourists come in and they hear the story they're they're amazed at it because uh, this is very detailed. It contains 70 figures. Uh, the the figures spiral around on their march. Uh, 12,000 people left this village. And uh, only 6,000 made it to the reservation, which is now Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost all their children, all their chiefs, all the wise men, all the elders, uh, the medicine men, they lost. It was, they had they had no written word. It was like uh, the poor in Ireland had no written word. Right. And a lot of this culture disappeared. Yeah. Kieran, uh, you are doing a great job highlighting some history that uh, that is surprising that people may not know about. And we're going to make sure that we share your website with our listeners, also tweeted out at where we live. Kieran Tui, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up after the break, we're going to hear from another artist from Ireland in this permanent collection. And as we go out of this break, we're going to play a little bit of The Fields of Athenry, an Irish folk song written in 1979 about the Great Hunger. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Today on this St. Patrick's Day, we're focusing on plans to move Ireland's Great Hunger Museum from Hamden to Fairfield. Quinnipiac University partnering with the Gaelic American Club in Fairfield to be the future location of the museum and its extensive collection. Araya Mahoney is here. He's advising this move to Fairfield. He was the former executive director of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum in Hamden. He helped connect us with some of the Irish artists featured in this collection, including Tracy Sweeney, a visual artist based in County Mayo in Ireland, joining us now on Zoom. Tracy, welcome to the show. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Such beautiful, haunting uh, work that you do, Tracy. Again, we have some images on our website, ctpublic.org, slash where we live, for our listeners who are curious about your art. So can you talk about your Fighting with Shadows series that was commissioned for this museum? Uh, Yeah, Lucy, I suppose the interesting thing about that commission is it was probably one of the last pieces to go into the museum before it closed back in 2019. Um, I live on the west coast of Ireland in a a county called Mayo, and um, I was commissioned by an American family that regularly visit the west of Ireland, the Mulvies, who their their great their i suppose their grandmother would have left ireland back um in the early 1900s um and emigrated 
to Connecticut and ended up marrying another Irishman in, in New Haven, another man from Mayo. Um, and what's interesting is where I paint in our small rural village, when I look out our window, I can see the ruins of their their thatched cottage in the field next to me. And while that's still standing and remains there, to envisage, I guess, the loss of life and the loss of people that would have left a village that apparently would have had hundreds in it for, you know, the whole county to be, the whole country really to be decimated and so many people to leave. Um, when when my friends, the Mulvies, would come home during the summer, they would, they would always go and stand within these ruins and look around them. And their aunt Nancy had recently passed away um, in New Haven and she had... She had no family there, I suppose, at the time, and she would constantly visit the museum where Ryan worked and she would sit in front of the paintings and, and feel a connection to a land that maybe was never hers, but was her parents. Um, so when the Mulvies asked me to commission, if they could commission a piece, um, and they gave me as much inspiration as possible from the trunks that they still hold in their family where that woman would have emigrated from Ireland in the 1920s with all her belongings. Those trunks have come back to Mayo and they're, they're in a cottage next door to us here. I was able to go through all of that and to, to look at that collection as inspiration and then start to pull together a couple of ideas that I had in relation to making a piece that would convey a sense of loss and a sense of leaving one's home country behind. And I guess my, my main inspiration at the time was... I found a newspaper article from the famine whereby somebody in Mayo had said, I, I, um, I suppose vaguely they had said, they have taken our light, our food and our religion and there is nothing we can do anymore. We are fighting with shadows. And to feel that sense of desperation and how, I suppose, how I as an artist could transfer that sense across into a visual piece of artwork was a really lovely, lovely piece to come together. It, it took some time, but it was a beautiful thing to work on. Yes, and leaving, it's uh, haunting and uh, so stunning uh, to look at. When we, I talked with Kieran earlier, you know, he uses bogwood in his sculpture. I understand as a multimedia artist, you're not, you're using carpenter tools, not paintbrushes. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, my background is actually in printmaking and fine art, and it's only in, I suppose, the last number of years that painting has become my mainstay, really, with my studio practice. Um, typically, I'm an abstract artist, and I would my works involve a lot of layers and scraping back and chiseling into a piece. There's a lot of graffiti and the remnants of somebody having been there before. They look like old walls or graffiti on a bridge, you know, or a rusted boat frame with a lot of um, tarnish and and varnish and that kind of a, an, a used surface. So it was very difficult to switch from being an abstract visual artist into being a more representational one in relation to how to transfer for my idea across but not using a visual uh, an abstract medium using a more representational one um, but it was quite a challenge I thoroughly enjoyed it though it was it, it, if anything my whole arts practice has changed since then because I feel like I need to say more and that maybe abstract is, is too easy you know mm. 
Uh, it's been lovely to hear from you and have you describe about a little bit about your process. Uh, Tracy Sweeney, a visual artist based in County Mayo in Ireland. Uh, before we run out of time, I wanted to go back to John Foley, who's vice president of the Gaelic American Club in Fairfield, the new president of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum of Fairfield, the club becoming the new steward, this process uh, expected to roll out over the next two years. Uh, John, earlier you mentioned that you know this is deeply personal to you. As you hear from these artists, and you think about how the community will respond when this museum does reopen, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Um, I think, first of all, it's a tremendous responsibility that uh, we've taken on here. It's not a gift as such. It's really um, uh, Mary there, the, the girl the lady called in. She said, you know, um, she's glad that somebody stepped up. I think it's not just the Gaelic American Club that's stepping up. This is Irish America stepping up and saying, we are going to take on this collection. We're going to take these great artists and, and we're very, very proud, very, very proud to show to showcase their work. And we will listen to them um, and, and, and let them tell the story of where we came from. I think uh, we're getting the right team together. Ryan is has been wonderful. He knows the collection inside out. Um, I've had personal dealings with uh, with Kieran, who is the most wonderful man, um, not just a sculptor, but just he's got a really great heart. And uh, I can't wait to I can't wait to meet uh, Tracy as well because um, you know again these these artists have they're giving not just they're they're giving of themselves. To, to, to promote this, to, to tell this story. And it's something that we need to hear and we need to display. And this collection is so important for the Irish American community, the Irish and the Irish American community. Um, we, we, we have to, to step up as one now, everybody as one and say, this is our collection and this is our story and we are going to display it. We are going to, we are going to honor it. We're going to honor the people who survived and the people who didn't survive of this great travesty mm -hmm. in, in our history. Well, John, we appreciate all the time that you've given us. And uh, as you get close to reopening, we'd love to come down and, and get a tour. Thank you so much for your time today, John Foley. Thank you. You'll be welcome. And Ryan Mahoney was here. He's advising this move to Fairfield, the former director, executive director of Ireland's Great Hunger Museum. Ryan, thank you. Thank you so much. And let me just say a big thank you to John and Amy for leading this uh, project. They've done a fantastic job of ensuring that this collection stays for future mm -hmm. generations. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Special thanks to Katie Tularski. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Back with you tomorrow.